0: All right, good evening. Glad you're here this evening uh, as we continue our study of the life of Christ. We are going to be in Lesson 52 uh, in the packet, uh, if you have that, or if you need one. I think there's a few left on the table, uh, but again, we're in Lesson number 52 uh, this evening. Uh, if you were with us Sunday morning, in Lesson number 51, we talked about a, an account that uh, sounded pretty familiar. Uh, If you remember, and this, of course, was Jesus feeding uh, the 4,000. Now, a few weeks ago, we uh, went through an account where Jesus fed the 5,000, but we we just got finished looking at a different account, although it looked like the one that we looked at, but it was different. It was Jesus feeding the 4,000. And we, uh, we were able to point out many different differences uh, between the two uh, so that we could, you know, obviously understand that these weren't uh, the same. And we noticed that the location of these two were different. Uh, one of them was more on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, while the feeding of the 4,000 was uh, on the southern side of the Sea of Galilee. Again, we noticed the size of the crowd. You know, again, that, that's probably one of the obvious ones, 5,000 versus 4,000. Uh, The the nationality, you know, the first time Jesus did this, when he fed the 5,000, it was uh, to his Jewish brethren. But as we noticed Sunday morning, the 4,000 was uh, the Gentiles, were were those who were not Jews uh, that he fed. Uh, The time span was different. Uh, When he fed the 5,000, he did that in a a period of one day. Whereas uh, when he fed the 4,000, it was really a three-day long Uh, teaching seminar that Jesus gave and so on that third day uh, he eventually then performed the miracle of uh, multiplying the fish and the loaves and then also the leftovers that was another clue to us that these were different accounts because uh, this time when he feeds the 4,000 we're told that there's um, much larger baskets being used and there's a, a different amount of leftovers Uh, But the biggest clue, I guess, for us was in Mark chapter eight, verses 18 and 20, where Jesus specifically said to his uh, disciples and his apostles, and we're going to read those verses here in a moment, but specifically he said there is, you know, don't you remember when I fed the 5,000 and there was the 12 baskets of leftovers? And then don't you remember when I fed the 4,000 and there were the seven baskets of leftovers? So Jesus specifically said that these were two uh, different accounts. But really what we focused on was, you know, why did the apostles seem to forget so quickly uh, that Jesus, you know, performed that miracle of feeding the 5,000? And then when we get to him feeding the 4,000, again, it seemed very similar because the disciples asked, where are we going to find food in this desolate place? And again, why did they forget so quickly that Jesus had just, you know, uh, taken those fish and loaves and multiplied it to feed five thousand, and now they're asking that same question. Uh, we, 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 uh, you know, theorized maybe some of the reasons. You know, one of those was, you know, if you remember when Jesus fed the five thousand, uh, right afterwards he rebuked the crowd uh, in John chapter six for, you know, following him not because of the signs and miracles that he was doing, but following him because of the meals that he was providing with them. And so uh, maybe uh, as we theorize, maybe the disciples were a little gun-shy to go and ask Jesus to uh, do this miracle again. Maybe they didn't want to receive a rebuke uh, like he had given the people. Uh, We also mentioned, you know, the the apostles didn't always understand uh, what Jesus was doing in the moment. We see that time and time again, uh, that Jesus is trying to teach them something and they just don't always get it. Right? And so maybe that's what's going on here. And you know one of the other bigger, bigger lessons that we talked about was this region of Decapolis where this is happening. Again, this is on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. This is in Gentile territory. If we remember the first time Jesus was here uh, in this land was when he uh, healed a man who was demon-possessed. And remember, the, it was uh, the demon referred to himself as legion and he, and he went into the swine, and the swine rushed into the, the sea and killed all of the, uh, of the, of the, you know, the farmers' uh, crop or not crops, but uh, animals, pigs, swine. Uh, they all died. And remember, the, the result of that was that the people in Decapolis wanted Jesus out. They, they were afraid of what Jesus just did, and they wanted him out of the land. Well, here we are. Uh, a few chapters later in the book of Mark And he's back in that same area But now the people have changed their minds About Jesus Now they've heard about the things that he's been doing they, They've seen those things The healings that he's done And now you know they're welcoming to Jesus They're bringing their lame and sick And blind and mute and all of these people To Jesus for him to heal And we made that point Was that you know Just because Jesus was rejected that first time uh, Doesn't mean that he gave up Right, that, that he went back a second time, and we made that application to us as well. As maybe we uh, may get rejected uh, sharing the gospel to somebody a first time. Uh, that we shouldn't give up. Right? We, should, we should go back that second time, because you know that's what Jesus did. He didn't give up on the people in Decapolis. And so that was our study Sunday morning. We're going to be uh, mostly in Mark chapter 8 this evening, uh, but we will go to Matthew 16 as well. But... Uh, We're going to continue in Mark chapter 8, and we're really going to look at three uh, accounts uh, that's going to happen here. Uh, We're going to see Jesus uh, teach uh, about uh, leaven, so we're going to talk about leaven uh, here shortly. We're going to see Jesus heal another individual, this time it's going to be a blind man. And then, when we get to Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're going to see what's commonly referred to as Peter's good confession, and so hopefully this is a chapter we're familiar with, Matthew 16, uh, because there's just so many powerful um, verses there that, you know, we need to understand. We need to, uh, you know, keep in mind. And so a lot of people have uh, referred to, you know, this part in Jesus' ministry, uh, especially uh, where we see him today as a very climactic part. Uh, again, um, Many say this is one of those turning points in his ministry. And in a space of a week, uh, we're going to see in the scriptures over the next three classes, I believe three or four, it's going to cover a time span of about a week. We're going to see, again, the good confession. And we'll talk about that more when we get there. We're going to see uh, again today Jesus unveiling uh, Christ or his plans to build his church. Uh, Next time, we're going to look at some uh, unmistakable and uh, clear announcements concerning Jesus uh, referring to his death and resurrection and the second coming. And then I believe uh, two or a week from today, uh, we'll finish with the transfiguration of Jesus. And so uh, these are all happening within uh, this time span here. But again, we're going to notice those first two uh, here. But before we do that, let's see a couple of stops that uh, Jesus makes along the way. So in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 10, notice it says, And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So uh, I didn't have the... I didn't put the map up today, uh, but hopefully maybe it's burned in your mind now, uh, especially around that Sea of Galilee area. Again, Jesus is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee down in the Decapolis. And we're told that he's getting into a boat and he's going back to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Mark tells us that he goes to, uh, again, if we see that verse in verse 10, uh, Dal Man- Manutha um, this is just this is one of those areas in Scripture. This is the only time this this uh, city or region is mentioned in Scripture, and this is one of those places that you know we just don't know exactly where it is. Uh, we will someday, uh, probably, when archaeologists will, will find that piece of evidence. But thankfully, Matthew also tells us in his account that this is near the village of Magdala. Uh, so. Uh, we know where that is specifically. So if I had the map up there, we would notice on the, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, again, now he's back in Jewish territory. Remember the last couple of lessons, we've seen him uh, operating outside of Jewish territory. Now he's back in you know, Herod's territory and Herod's kingdom, uh, not too far away from Nazareth and those places. Now he's in Magdala and the Pharisees. Right, The Pharisees, once he comes back in, uh, to, um, you know, this Jewish territory, they come and ask Jesus, uh, demand, demanding a question. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, right? You know, Jesus has been trying to avoid them the past couple of lessons. Uh, but as soon as he gets back there uh, in the Jewish territory, they're right there, ready to uh, pounce on him, right? Uh, sort of like a parent, You know, who just wants a little alone time, uh, you know, without kids around. And so Jesus has to go outside of Jewish territory to get some rest, to get some time away. But as soon as he gets home, you know, the the kids are right there uh, asking him questions. And that's what it kind of envisioned me. And so uh, here's Jesus coming back. The Pharisees are on his case again. And uh, actually, in Matthew's account, he tells us that the Sadducees are with him as well. And that's interesting. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come to test Jesus, to ask him questions. Do the Pharisees and the Sadducees normally work together? No, No. right? They're sort of two opposites of of the Jewish religion. You know, you got the Pharisees who are well-respected. People look up to them, even though, you know, they're they're very religious, very pious. Uh, But then you also have the Sadducees who... Uh, were sort of, uh, they were more of the influential side. Uh, they um, they didn't believe in certain things, such as the resurrection, uh, such as, you know, an afterlife and stuff like that. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't see things eye to eye when it came to uh, Judaism. And, and so uh, we often see them, you know, in contrast to one another in Scripture, but now we see them coming together uh, because they have that one common enemy. Of course, Jesus. You know, Christ can bring all types of people together. You know, we see that today. Uh, we see that even here in the Scriptures. And so they're, they're seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him, and the the Lord has basically said, you, you know, or, or excuse me, the, the people are saying, prove it. Right? We've heard of these things that you've done. Uh, now we want to see it. We want to see uh, what you can do. And so look at verse 12. And notice Mark says, Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Can you imagine Jesus sighing deeply? You know, I mean, what, what does that tell you about the situation in Jesus' mind? You've seen it, you know it, just accept it. I get it so sweet. Yeah. Hey. hey, come on, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right, a hint of frustration. Yeah. Right? Ugh, uh, you know, that's what we'd say. Ugh, again, you know. Uh, I'm going to quickly turn over to Matthew's account because Matthew gives us a little bit more detail uh, about. Uh, what jesus says here in matthew chapter 16 Uh, matthew chapter 16 uh, starting in verse 2. so here's the pharisees and sadducees coming to jesus to test him to ask him to show them a sign and jesus says this when it is evening you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. So I guess at that time there was sort of an old adage. Uh, uh, red sky at morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Right, And so that's, that was an old adage that they had that they could look at the sky, and if it was, if the sky was red in the morning, you know, they knew that there was probably going to be storms that day, and especially on the water, and so that was a warning to them, but if there were red skies at night, you know, that meant that the next day was going to be nice, it was going to be pleasant out, and so Jesus is saying, you know, you guys can predict the weather just by, you know, looking at the skies, by, uh, you know, discerning what the sky looks like, you you can understand what it's going to be like uh, weather-wise. But spiritually, you know, spiritually speaking, these signs that I'm performing for you, you know, you just don't get it, right? You don't get it. And he says there uh, in verse 4 that the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Now, what do you think he means by that? Okay, exactly. So, uh, you know, of course, Jonah, uh, the story there in the minor prophets of uh, Jonah who stayed in the, you know, the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights. You know, Jesus has already mentioned, well, a couple of months ago in one of our lessons that, you know, that uh, is a type of, you know, the resurrection. That's a type of Jesus going to be in the tomb for three days and uh, he's going to be uh, resurrected. And, you know, that's going to be the greatest Miracle, The greatest sign uh, that, you know, that generation is going to get to see. Now, of course, when Jesus says this to them, you know, they don't understand what that means. Right. Uh, because it hasn't happened yet. And they, they're not going to be able to make that connection between Jonah and being in the, in the belly of the fish and Jesus being in the tomb for those three days. Uh, but that's the sign Jesus said, you, you adulterous generation. You know, you're always seeking after a sign. That's the only sign I'm going to give you. And, of course, that's going to be the most powerful sign uh, that they are ever going to get. And that's the most uh, you know, powerful sign that we read about in Scripture as well is Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And so, um, so here, if we want to move back into Mark chapter 8, uh, again in verse 12, you know, again, Jesus sighing deeply in his spirit. Uh, having to deal with this question from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now verse 13 tells us that leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. So Jesus is keeping it tough on us, right? Because uh, now he's getting back in the boat and going to the the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You know, he keeps going back and forth. So now he's going back towards, well, we're going to read here in a little bit where they're going to end up. But again, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, And verse 14 through 21, let's sort of uh, read these all together. Starting in verse 14, it says And they had forgotten to take bread, and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. Then, or excuse me, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? So he gives them pretty stern warning, right? They're in the boat headed towards, again, the, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee now. And uh, he's, he's giving them a warning, right? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's what Matthew's account says. Uh, we just read in Marks that said uh, the Pharisees and Herod. Uh, you know, what do the apostles think he's talking about? About the physical things, and he's talking about the spiritual things, and he keeps trying to get their mindset to change, but it takes the cross to do that, basically. Yeah, again, here we have them focused on the physical, right? Because when Jesus mentions leaven, what do they say? They say, we, you know, we have no bread here in the boat, or we don't have enough, right? And so they're thinking about the physical food, uh, that they left in such a hurry that they didn't bring any bread. Um, Jesus refers to them as men of little faith in Matthew's account. And, uh, you know, what does this deal with leaven in Scripture? What does leaven represent? Sin? Okay. And what is the, what's the purpose of leaven? Okay, to expand. right, so if you are, uh, you know, baking bread one week, uh, you know, during that time period, you you might break a little off and put it aside uh, so that when, you know, a week later comes by and you're going to make your next piece of bread, you're going to put that, that, you know, piece that you set aside with the leaven uh, into your dough, right? And so it's going to uh, expand it. And so most of the times in Scripture, when we... read about leaven uh, we're reading about a you know a sin um, we're reading about the the seriousness of it affecting you know the whole lump of dough Uh, there there is one time in scripture where leaven is seen in a good light in Matthew chapter 13 uh, verse 33 he when he gives the parable of the kingdom and he says it's it's like you know a, a piece of leaven in the dough and how it expands and there's just this rapid growth to it. But the majority of time when Jesus talks about leaven in the scripture, he's talking about it's uh, the influence that it has. Right? And, um, you know, there, Paul talks about leaven as well. A, a lot of times saying that, you know, you need to get it out of the lump of dough. You know, you need to separate it from there. And so, again, uh, the mo- majority of time it's used, it's talking about a bad influence. And so Jesus, again, says, don't fall into the Pharisees and the Sadducees' way of thinking, right? Because they didn't believe in Jesus. They rejected Jesus. And we need not underestimate, you know, the the power of evil influences. Because just like leaven, uh, if you leave it, you know, uh, there, it's going to spread into that whole lump of dough. And so... Uh, it's a really good analogy that they used in that time because they understood that you know process. You know, not many of us make our own bread uh, today, and so maybe uh, it's a little bit harder for us to understand. But you know, just a small uh, a peck of leaven uh, entering into a you know dough and uh, you know making its way throughout the whole thing is what Jesus you know here is mentioning. You know, get rid of it. You know, clean it out. Uh, Make sure, again, that uh, he says there uh, in uh, verse 15, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Uh, so let's, let's continue in verse uh, 22 uh, in Mark chapter 8. It says, and they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him on his way home saying, do not even enter the village. So we just get a, you know, we get a quick, uh, uh, you know, miracle performed by Jesus here. This is the only time that it's mentioned is in Mark's account. Uh, this is very similar to what we read a couple of weeks ago, or, or maybe it was last week, when we saw a Jesus heal the deaf man. Uh, again, that was only in Mark as well. Remember where Jesus put the fingers in his ears and then he spit on the ground and took that saliva and touched his tongue with it? Well, here, a very similar account of Jesus healing, uh, this time, someone who was blind. And again, he takes him uh, away from the crowd of people we see. He takes him, um, oh, where was that? Taking him by the blind man of the hand, he brought him out of the village. Again, he, he. this time he spits on the man's eyes. He lays his hands on him. And we notice at first, this 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 miracle is a little interesting to me because we notice at first uh, that, at first, does the man receive his his sight completely? No. No. Uh, does that mean that Jesus couldn't do it right the first time? No. There, there's obviously there's some teaching implication here. You know, maybe uh, he's teaching uh, his apostles. Um, you know, maybe he's trying to get something through to them about you know them not being able to see clearly. Uh, I think that's most of the commentators I read went with that as sort of, you know, why this happened sort of in two phases. Again, this wasn't a miracle, a quote-unquote miracle, that took place over weeks and weeks of time. You know, uh, when Jesus performed a miracle, it was immediately, right? And so uh, he takes this man who has been blind. Uh, This man probably wasn't blind at birth uh, because we noticed a couple of things was, you know, he knew what trees looked like. Right? Because he thought these men were walking around like trees. And secondly, in verse 25, it says that his sight was restored. So that kind of tells me that uh, he probably had lost his sight at some time. Uh, But, uh, again, this was done in in sort of a phase, right? Jesus first gives him partial uh, vision. Again, what I believe what's going on here is he's teaching his apostles about, um, you know, needing to see clearly. And... uh, And then he uh, then again uh, restores him completely. And so, again, this this is a an instance in scripture that's only in Mark. We don't often, um, you know, preach and teach on this lesson because, uh, again, because, you know, Mark is uh, the only one that records it for us. And it's very short, just a few verses. But again, another interesting healing uh, that Jesus uh, does there. So uh, we want to move on uh, with our time left. Uh, because this is really the, the crucial part of uh, this lesson. And so uh, we're, uh, even though Mark gives us some detail, uh, we want to go to Matthew chapter 16 uh, because Matthew's going to give us a little bit more uh, about what happens right after this uh, miracle's performed uh, in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, let's look at verses 13 through 16 first. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So uh, the last account told us we were in Bethsaida. Again, if we had the map up there, we'd notice he was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. But now he's in Caesarea Philippi. So he's sort of gone straight north uh, of the Sea of Galilee in Caesarea Philippi. And just by way of mentioning this, uh, this isn't Philippi that, you know, that Paul travels to in the book of Acts, where the, you know, the, the Philippian letter is written to. This is a different place. Uh, And again, this is referred to as Caesarea Philippi. But Jesus goes there, uh, and he's talking to, again, his apostles. He he asks that question, who do people say that I am? And, of course, you know, we've seen this already, that some people have considered uh, Jesus to be, you know, John the Baptist from the dead. You know, that was Herod's thing. Remember, Herod thought that uh, Jesus was John the Baptist from the dead. Uh, Some people think that Jesus was Elijah, You know, um, Elijah, of course, was prophesied to, uh, you know, come back at some time, but that was fulfilled through John the Baptist. So that makes sense that Jesus uh, not only was um, misidentified as John the Baptist and Elijah, and also Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But here's the most important question Jesus asks. He says, but who do you say that I am? And then, of course, Peter makes... You know, what we recall, the good confession he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, he's confirming or affirming uh, his belief that Jesus is the son of God. And why is that question so important? Foundation of the church. I'm sorry. Foundation of the church. Yeah, He's going to talk about that here in a moment, too. But that question who do you say that I am? That is so important because every single person in the world has to answer that question. Right? He's either the Christ or he's not. And so everyone has to answer that question. Right? What does Jesus say in John chapter uh, 8 verse 24? I had this on the top tip of my tongue. Uh, but uh, therefore I said to you. That you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Right? That, the question, who am I, we all have to answer that question. Uh, again, And, uh, and you know, Peter makes the good confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Son of God. And so, um, again, we all have to answer that question. So now let's look at verses 17 through 20, and this will be the final verses we look at. That he was the Christ. So there's some pretty uh, important verses in there. That, um, especially uh, verse 18. Uh, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That word there church is uh, the Greek word ekklesia. You know, the, the called out. Uh, it's, Jesus only says the word Ecclesia in Scripture two times. And so this is important that this is, you know, this is the first time that Jesus uh, refers to his church. Uh, now, has the church been established yet? No, the church hasn't been established yet. Uh, but he's uh, talking about, you know, it, it's coming soon. Right. And I'm going to build my church. And then in verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Right, so he's talking about the same thing here the, the kingdom of heaven the church you know there, he's using you know two different terms uh, to, fer, to refer to the same place you know interchangeable the kingdom of heaven and the church now why does verse 18 you know why does verse 18 where he again he says to peter upon this rock i will build my church and the or i also say to you that you are peter and upon this rock i will build my church uh, does anyone know uh, you know why that verse um, you know, is often used in a different way. Well, this is this is a verse where uh, the Catholic Church will take this verse and say, "Well, here, this is telling us that Peter is basically the first pope, right?" They're they're saying that, uh, uh, and here is the interesting part. Okay, so Peter in Greek is Uh, This word Petros, Petros, and this is a masculine word and it means uh, a stone, Uh, basically a stone that you could pick up and throw. And that's what that's what Jesus called Peter. Remember, uh, Peter is not uh, his given name. That's a name that Jesus gave him a while back. But it means stone. Right. And so uh, so he says, I will say that you are Peter. You are a stone. And upon this rock. Now, this word rock in the Greek is a different word. It's Petra. And what it means is a massive rock, uh, a, a giant rock foundation. And so what Jesus is really doing here is he's doing a play on words. He's saying, Peter, you are a small rock, uh, but my church is going to be built on a massive rock. Right? But um, you know, the Catholic Church has taken that verse and said, well, see, Peter is a rock, and this uh, great confession was this rock, and so, you know, Jesus is building his church upon Peter, right? Um, of course, that's, that's the last spell, isn't it? Uh, but of course, uh, that is uh, wrong because, you know, if we studied some of those things, we understand, you know, that, that Peter was a married man. You know, the pope cannot, uh, the pope must be celibate. Uh, the pope accepts worship. Peter, when worship came to him, remember, he said, I'm just a man, you know, get up. So I'll finish my thoughts on this um, Sunday morning, but appreciate uh, everyone's um, good <laughs> comments here tonight.